0: This is Bang Goes the Universe, a walking, talking, four-dimensional tour of the history, the people, and the science behind one of the greatest discoveries of all time, the Big Bang. I'm your host, Ron Baller, writer, producer, astro-enthusiast, science communicator, and author of Hubble, Hummerson, and the Big Bang. This podcast is an attempt to demystify the science behind Big Bang cosmology by tracing the developments in modern Western thought that slowly led us to our current state of play, In our last episode of this season, we'll talk through the life and achievements of one of the most influential thinkers of the last three centuries before the Common Era. A man who is widely regarded as being the founder of geography, but whose insights in that field of study led to one of the most incredible breakthroughs in the early days of astronomy. This is episode 10. Eratosthenes measures the Earth, Moon, and Sun Hello again, and welcome to Bango's The Universe. Ron here, ready to run through our last installment of this first season. Thanks very much for tuning in. In our last episode, we saw how Aristarchus of Samos took clues from the likes of Anaxagoras and Philolaus, and a lot of geometry to make some clever insights as to the order of the solar system, which at the time was thought to be the entire system. This episode features a guy who was a young contemporary of Aristarchus, who ended up living in the same city, Alexandria, and one who stumbled onto a way to measure the earth, moon, and sun quite by chance. Eratosthenes was born in 276 BCE, in the ancient town of Cyrene, part of the Ptolemaic kingdom in what is now Libya. It was customary at the time for Greek children to attend gymnasium, a kind of prep school, where they received a rounded education in both physical and social skills, as well as reading, writing, and arithmetic, arts, and humanities. Later he traveled to Athens, where his lust for knowledge and wisdom led him to study Stoic, Cynic, and Platonic doctrine, among others. He had a keen interest in Plato and apparently wrote his first scholarly work on the mathematical foundations of Platonism. He studied at the Academy in Athens under Arcesilaus, and his brand of academic skepticism that encouraged his students to challenge theories and conclusions of previous scholars to see their truths for themselves rather than merely accepting their work as gospel. A polymath with a romantic streak he wrote poetry and studied music theory, and even pulled together the most chronologically accurate histories of the day from the Trojan War to his time. Eventually, word of his abilities got to the pharaoh, Ptolemy III Ergetes, who summoned Eratosthenes from Cyrene to Alexandria to tutor his son. There, he was made a librarian at the prestigious Library of Alexandria in 245 BCE he would make the library and the city his home for the rest of his life, becoming chief librarian around 236 BCE. Whether he knew Aristarchus or not isn't well known. We can assume at least that he knew of his work. Eratosthenes was as erudite a scholar as we'll find in antiquity, with an inventive mind and a passion for knowledge. He was a friend of Archimedes, who was known to have dedicated his book, The Method, to Eratosthenes. He also invented the armillary sphere in 255 BCE. In 195 BCE, Eratosthenes would go blind from the effects of ophthalmalia, a bacterial disease that affects the eyes, and became so depressed from the loss of his vision that he apparently voluntarily starved himself to death in 194 BCE. As a scholar, he seemed most interested in terrestrial knowledge and wrote a series of books coining the term geography in the title of the series, with maps of the known world complete with climate zones, longitude and latitude lines, and the names of hundreds of the known cities of the time. His insights in this field followed on a remarkable discovery he made during his early years in Alexandria— Around 245 BCE, while working at the library, he read a story about a water well in Syene, the town of Aswan in modern-day Egypt. Every year at noon of the summer solstice, the sun's light would illuminate the water in the bottom of the well while casting no shadow on the walls. Eratosthenes realized that this must mean that the sun was directly over the town of Syene at that very moment. So, he wondered if at that same moment, standing in Alexandria, his body would cast a shadow. If not, then the earth must be flat. But if it did, then the earth was curved. So the following year, he stuck a pole in the ground and waited till the sun reached its highest point in the sky on June 20th, in the year 244 BCE. Sure enough, the pole cast a shadow. The Earth must be round. Flat earthers, go fly a kite around the world. This was not an Earth shattering discovery on its own, at least amongst scholars. People had been watching fishing boats and warships disappear over the horizon only to return home again for centuries. But Eratosthenes had other more pressing issues on his mind, chiefly to find the circumference of the Earth. But how to do it well? Well, it was remarkably simple in theory, but rather time-intensive in practice. First, he measured the length of the shadow at that magic moment. He already knew the length of the pole he was using, so now he had two sides of a right triangle. Applying Pythagorean's famous theorem, he was then able to get the length of the third side, or hypotenuse. I just like to say hypotenuse, hypotenuse. And he could also get the angle made by the sun's beam at the top of the pole, which was 7.2 degrees. The sun at the moment of the summer solstice was hitting Alexandria at a 7.2 degree angle. Now, assuming the earth was roughly round, and knowing the circumference of a circle was 360 degrees, he had about one-fiftieth of the circumference of the earth. All he had to do now was figure out the distance from Alexandria to Syene. Trouble was, it was pretty far. Like about 500 miles. Yeah, far. Trust me. I ride my bicycle about 600 miles every year for charity, and it takes me about eight days to complete the journey. It's a far piece to walk, especially when you also had to keep track of how far you had gone. Fortunately for Eratosthenes, there were people he could employ to do just that, and friends in high places who could afford to pay them to make the trip. These professional surveyors were known as bematists, and they were trained to pace off extremely long distances with pretty high precision. These guys came back with a distance measurement of 5,000 stadia between Alexandria and Syene. That's about 800 kilometers, or 500 miles. That was all he needed to know. Multiplying that distance by 50 gives a circumference of 40,000 kilometers, or 24,850 miles. Accurate to within a few percent. In other words, Eratosthenes' measurement was spot on. A guy with a stick and a little ingenuity had uncovered the enormity of the planet he and his constituents were living on. Based on his measurements, Eratosthenes could now tell that the world was much larger than the little slice of it everyone in the region was fighting over. Perhaps this was one argument he would have made against the likes of Aristotle, who liked to think the world was divided between Greeks and barbarians. Eratosthenes wanted none of that kind of antagonism. He had unlocked one of Mother's hidden secrets, and now he was going to uncover more. Knowing Aristarchus' measurement of the shadow of the Earth across the moon during a lunar eclipse, he knew the moon's diameter was roughly a quarter of the Earth's. So all he had to do was find the diameter of the Earth by dividing the circumference by pi, or 3.14. Remember pi from our previous episodes? The bane of the Pythagoreans, coming to Eratosthenes' aid. Anyhow... That equation leaves a diameter of the Earth of about 12,700 kilometers, or 7,900 miles. Then, Eratosthenes simply divided that number by four, and presto. He had a diameter of the moon of 3,200 kilometers, or 2,000 miles. Pretty cool, eh? Due to the difficulty in getting the correct angle between the sun and moon from the Earth, Eratosthenes' diameter of the sun was only about... 25 percent of its actual size. And although later reports expressed accurate measurements of the distance to the sun, it's hard to believe he could have had proper distances for either the sun or moon given the fact he didn't have proper figures for, the, for either. Eratosthenes went on to calculate the tilt of the earth on its axis with remarkable accuracy by observing the rotation of the stars and imagining a line through the Earth's center from north to south pole. He also catalogued some 675 stars in a very early example of stellar cataloging. He devised a 365-day calendar and correctly predicted that every fourth year would have 366 days. As accurate as his measurement of the Earth was, his work was revised a century later by the Greek astronomer, Posidonius of Rhodes, whose measurement was smaller by roughly 7,000 miles and less accurate. But because it was closer to that of Aristotle, who was considered to be the standard by which standards were made, his work was more widely accepted, and the astronomer Ptolemy would include it in his work Almagest. But Eratosthenes' system was used by ocean-goers for many centuries, and his measurement of the earth's circumference ultimately proved more accurate than either Posidonius or Aristotle. Probably because his work was focused on geography and didn't blatantly dismiss or undermine theological precepts, Eratosthenes was more widely accepted by his descendants than many of his predecessors. Given the time in which he lived, the accurate measurement of the Earth's circumference by an Egyptian librarian smacks of the same sort of Cinderella story as that of a certain Swiss patent clerk who just happened to reinvent modern physics in the 20th century. Eratosthenes of Kyrene, who on a hunch correctly measured the size of the Earth by simply using his head, a stick, and a little ingenuity, was one of the greatest minds of antiquity and greatly improved the prospects for the advancement of science in the 3rd century before the Common Era. Well, we've come a long way in this first season, haven't we? Nearly 100,000 years of development of thought and hypothesis has brought us nearly to the dawn of the Common Era. I think it's been fascinating to discover some of the parallels between human thought, despair, and convention with the advent of philosophy and science as a whole. I hope next season to be able to connect and reconnect to this past as we move forward into the modern era and discuss some of the discoveries that drove the expansion of astronomy as a matter of scientific study. We'll be back soon with Season 2. In the meantime, check out the Bang Goes the Universe blog on my website at ronvoller.com for details, illustrations, and other features from this first season. And remember to check in to my YouTube channel as well for interviews with some of the members of the modern family of researchers, writers, and astronomers. Don't forget to like or subscribe. Thanks again for joining me. Bye for now. That concludes this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. Remember to like or subscribe to the show for updates on future episodes as they're published. We really appreciate the support. If you have questions or comments about or for current or future episodes, please leave them in the comments section or email them to me at contact at Bang Goes the Universe is written, produced, and hosted by me, Ron Baller. Thanks to Mark Baller for providing the theme music. We'll see you next time.